Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Dr. Nancy Sucker is a clinician, researcher, and teacher at Duke University School of Medicine, where she founded and directs the Duke Center for Eating Disorders. She's a professor in the departments of psychiatry and behavioral sciences, psychology, and neuroscience, and the author of 131 professional publications and of the revised practice guidelines for the treatment of eating disorders from the American Psychiatric Association. Most recently, she has published the book, Treating Functional Abdominal Pain in Children. Dr. Zucker's major clinical and research interest is in understanding how to help young people to develop a healthy awareness of their body signals and learn how to match these two actions that allow them to flourish. Her research and clinical work has been featured on ABC's Nightline, The Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, Time, and other major news outlets. The innovative and validated treatment approaches as developed by Dr. Zucker over more than a decade of working with such patients and explained in practical detail proposed by her and her co-authors in her new book are a much needed addition to the field. I cannot think of any publication in this field for healthcare providers, parents, and patients that is as informative, entertaining, and filled with actionable strategies for young patients suffering from chronic abdominal pain. Welcome to the show, Nancy. We did one of those podcasts, um, I don't know how long ago, maybe six months ago, about a different topic, about eating disorders. So today, really, I want to focus on, on talking to you about your your recent book, um, Treating Functional Abdominal Pain in Children, subtitled Clinical Guide Using Feeling and Body Investigations. An absolutely amazing book, not just from the from the content and the science, but in the practical implications, but also the um, beautiful illustrations that, that you have included in this. So yeah, let me let me jump right into this. Um, you 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 start the book with um, I mean this is a clinical guide ultimately, but you start with this background science behind what you call feeling and body investigations or or FBI. So we have talked before about uh, your prominent role in treating patients, children, adolescents with eating disorders. This is about pain, about abdominal pain, and. Um, so what is the background science um, you know, behind this, this book? And why has somebody who is a prominent eating, invest, uh, eating disorder investigator and clinician, why have you switched to, to abdominal pain? 
is there a similarity in the underlying science? No, it's a great, it's a great question. And I can um, kind of answer that, you know, in terms of my, you know, personal clinical journey, and then get into the, you know, the, the science behind it. So, you know, in my, you know, my work with people with anorexia nervosa, you know, one of what I think is kind of fundamental uh, to the disorder is, you know, individual's relationship to their body, right? And and first and foremost, their ability to, you know, tune into their body and decipher what their body is communicating, whether their stomach is communicating that they're hungry or whether they're anxious um, and, and whatnot. And then folks with anorexia nervosa, they... Um, that that be, be ability to kind of tune in, perceive, and respond, right? So to to tune in and label it as hunger, and then respond, okay, I'm hungry. I should eat something, is disrupted, um, and we don't you know quite know why it's disrupted, um, and what and the implications of that are profound. If you think about okay, you know how do you know who you are, right? How do you know what you're passionate about? How do you know whether you're a morning person or an evening person? How do you know what scares you and what excites you? And so what, what happened for me is um, qu asking questions like, you know, when does a child, you know, begin to learn how to tune into their bodies and, and decode things, you know, and, and, you know, and what are the conditions for which that learning could become disrupted and, you know, who would be vulnerable children and, and can you, how early can you teach that? And so, you know, so it led me to think of, you know, some metaphors, um, and particularly the metaphor of parenting, right, where you have a parent with an infant, you know, and the parent is tasked with this, you know, the same challenge of like taking an infant's cues and figuring out, okay, is the infant distressed, um, and, and responding, and then the infant feels soothed. So, so this metaphor of self-parenting, right, teaching a child to tune into themselves and parent themselves and, and it led me to pain, you know, because, you know, kid, a child who would be vulnerable to distrust their body, that their body actually is dangerous or harmful, or the signals from your body are communicating threat, um, are kids who experience pain. And if, if this is happening in young children, which happens with kids with functional abdominal pain, then the implications of that are they become scared of their body and they actually wouldn't learn to discriminate you know, that, oh, this is my stomach actually in pain versus actually, this is a hunger pain, you know, and this is actually a gas pain. And I actually don't need to be alarmed about most of this pain. And, and how do I learn to decode those things? And so that's kind of the, the, the clinical journey that led me here. Yeah. And um, I, so a lot of this has to really do with, with perception or, or interreception. So how we how we become aware and how we respond to the signals that our brain gets 24 hours, 24 seven. Um, most of them we're actually not aware um, as, 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 as adults, certainly not those sensations from the gut. And most people, um, I would say men more than women have learned not to pay much attention to it. Um, so, um, is this something also that uh, that you find? I mean, we're going to get more into this interception, but have, that you have found there is a, a a sex difference in in both the 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 prevalence of these disorders and um, 
and also in in your approach and your teaching children is is, is it, do you see a difference between male and female children yeah it's so interesting you know so um and this is true of eating disorders too um you know and when you get the younger that you get um the less that there's a sex difference right you know and then starting around puberty right is where you really start to see a differentiation right and you know in terms of sex sex differences and that and as you know that right whether that's a you know a hormonally mediated difference right whether that's a societal mediated difference whether of course it's you know all you know likely all of those things that contribute to these sex differences but in in the little people you know that i target you know the 5 to 9 year olds you're you're seeing a pretty pretty even split between little boys and little girls who have the you know these the, the you know this tummy pain that interferes with their functioning and causes their parents you know concern how how common a problem is um these chronically recurring abdominal pains in in children yeah common you know it's one of the most frequently presenting complaint in, in pediatric offices right and and you can imagine you know for parents um you know functional abdominal pain as you know is historically a, a, dis, a diagnosis of exclusion historically right that you know you've you've ruled out kind of true organic causes for pain and so you know we've come a long way in our conceptualization of these disorders but but still at the end of the day parents are you know, you're not left with this physical ailment is causing this pain. And if we treat this physical ailment, your child's pain will go away. And so what happens is that you're, you have this uncertainty if you're a parent about, okay, is this something that is missed um, in my child's pain? And so, and when they're complaining of pain, do I have them miss school because they're ill? And so, so trying to create um, a framework where parents can, um, you know, can, can manage that better um, and it's it's about ten percent of kids um, appear for pediatric primary care with with recurrent abdominal pain that is severe enough that they need to miss school or they show up in the emergency room because it's so so severe. So that's an interesting number because ten um, percent is also the the prevalence of of so called you know functional what used to be called functional gastrointestinal disorders in in adults um, and. Also, surprisingly, that has remained fairly stable over time. It, it's, it just varies depending on the symptom criteria that are being used to classify it. But there hasn't been like an increase, you know, in in association, for example, with uh, this epidemic of anxiety uh, disorders that has happened, you know, the last couple of years. Um, is is there evidence that that children that suffer from chronic abdominal pain also go on to are, I mean, are they more likely to develop uh, one of those functional or, or um, you know, gut-brain disorders um, as an adult? Is there evidence for that? Yeah, there is. I mean, you know, and so there, so these, what's so, another reason why these kids are so interesting to me is just, the, is their vulnerabilities, right? So they're, they're at risk for developing chronic pain disorders, right, such as other functional pain disorders, but also they're at risk for developing later anxiety depression, right? And so, you know, tummy pain is an interesting symptom, right? In that we can detect it, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas things like anxiety and depression in young children, we're, we're perhaps not as good at mm -hmm. taking that out. So it becomes this marker, right? For kids that would really benefit from early intervention that hopefully, right? If we are to get them at the age of five, 
you know, the hope is that we would actually change, alter these trajectories of risk. Which would be huge because, um, I mean, obviously, you know, as adults, these patients cause, um, uh, you know, a, a huge amount of investment from the, or, or costs of the healthcare system um, with unnecessary investigations and even surgeries and um, um, all kinds of remedies that, you know, people bite and, 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 and try to help their symptoms. So if, if, if your approach, if your intervention turns out to be successful, it would seem to be a pretty cost-effective uh, measure that could change, you know, uh, uh, I mean, change the adult field. I mean, the, the prevalence in adults. Do you do you have, so? Before we get into the details of how um, both the science and also you know your interventions, do you have any evidence for um, study evidence that your intervention that you outline so beautifully in your book? Uh, that that makes a difference in terms of uh, I don't know short term sh short term and long term outcomes of of these patients. Yeah, I mean, so our initial trial, which is under review, um, you know, is you know found that we reduced you know both the you know the the frequency of abdominal pain episodes and the duration and the intensity, and so all the kind of pain parameters. Um, but also, you know, in some ways, more importantly, the, the interference due to pain. Right. So that their pain was not, you know, getting in their way. Right. Which is that those kind of functional outcomes that are so important. And also that we decrease the uh, mental health symptoms or um, the child's anxiety symptoms and, their, and we increase their cheerfulness, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which we, we were happy about. As you mentioned, it's a playful intervention. So we're, you know, we're hoping to not only decrease negative affect, but increase positive affect, which is doesn't always go together. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's really amazing that something as 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 simple. I mean, it's elaborate the way you describe it. You know, it it, it took right. a lot of experience and and imagination to come up with 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 uh, with your lessons. Um, but it's it's still amazing that something like this would have such an impact on on a. Um, yeah, at the end of the day, like it is a simple intervention. You know, like it is like one of these like you know, when I present it to people, like, and I present the concept of it, they're like, of course, like, of course, that, like, yes, this is exactly what needs to happen, right? Just makes body sensations silly, um, you know, and, and that's just such a silly thing to do, but it makes so much sense. So if in, I mean, you know, you, you wrote several chapters on this and uh, published on it. And so how would you describe this in a, in, in a few sentences? Um, what goes wrong in these in these children, and then what do you target your intervention? So that, uh, interoception, this word looms large in in, in all your work. Um, so maybe you know we can start with that. I mean, what sure. is you know? Sure, you know, and so you know, interoception, right? The, our capacity to you know to sense sensations from visceral organs, right? That tell us kind of the moment to moment. That's our moment to moment mapping. Of, of our body experience and what you know what happens for for individuals with pain is that they develop that initial perception becomes a startle response right so they they notice a sensation in their bodies and they become alarmed by it oh gosh is this a warning signal that i'm about to have a pain episode you know is this and so they this initial fear response 
you know, becomes this vicious cycle, right? Where they they become afraid of that signal, they they tighten up, they become fear, and so they ample that signal becomes amplified. They subsequently avoid activities for fear of pain, which further you know decreases their pain experience. And so, one of the things that FBI is trying to do um, several things. One is to alter that initial perception. So rather than being one of being startled, it's like, oh, you know, so like rather than, you know, feeling a sensation in your gut, they're like, oh gosh, is this a signal of a tummy pain? They're like, oh, that's just gassy gas, you know, mm-hmm. no sweat, right? Just like my friend, little gas character, you know, like I'll just, you know, fart and be, move on. And so, so the first part of it is altering that initial perception. The second part is what's called, you know, doing interoceptive exposure exercises, which is actually intentionally provoking body sensations that kids would be scared of. And they do investigations that just demonstrate that the body is just wicked smart. Like the body does just so many amazing things on its own um, to protect you, right? You know, things like, you know, throwing up, gagging, you know, pooping fire, like all these things and to kind of give kids the marvel and wonder at all their bodies can do. So they realize their body actually is profoundly tough, right? So you have these kids with pain who thought they were vulnerable. And what we do is, you know, and kids, and I should add that kids with pain have been found to be more sensitive, right? Viscerally hypersensitive to these sensations. And that is viewed, um, can be viewed as a vulnerability, and what this intervention tries to do is say, like, actually, that's an asset. Like, that's a, actually a superpower. Like, if you have more ability to sense what your body is telling you, then you know yourself better, right? You have stronger emotion. The world is a more beautiful and vivid place. And so the crux of it is really helping parents also to view their child's sensitivity as this profound asset that you can't, tra- like, you can't give, you know, that sensitivity to a kid that doesn't have it, but we can you know, we really can harness it so that they have this beautiful lived experience. So you so mentioned all- in your book about the three superpowers, because you mentioned this word now. What uh, what are the other two? The first one is the increased sensitivity. Um, what, yeah, what yeah, so the, yeah, so these, you know, these power, these magnify, these powers of perception, you know, this exquisite self-awareness is their second superpower that they have this, you know, the self-knowledge that other people, they know themselves better than other people. And then the third one is more provocative, right? Whether they have, which you will be your favorite, whether they actually have these stronger gut feelings, right? That whether their intuitive decision-making and their gut feelings are actually, you know, better, faster, you know, more in tune. Um, and that's, you know, for for researchers such as yourselves to to unpack yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you know, um, so in terms of these gut feelings, uh, clearly, this is a very popular concept. And in general, <clears throat> it's viewed as a as a positive thing. But probably because of these learnings, and these early learnings and associations, it can actually be negatively biased. So you, your gut feelings are actually not accurate, you know. Um, so in generally, I, I mean, I would say, if you have, you know, um, if you have normal gut feelings, you you, you 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 haven't learned or mislearned early on that this is something negative, then um, it's actually a very good guide. I've I've made most of my important most important decisions in life based on my gut feelings. In retrospect, I didn't know at the time, but um, but if you're afraid of those, you're going to make these uh, these um, overly careful decisions, you know, and avoiding things and 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 not doing the things that are 
to the best of your potential. And so, I mean, this is all related to what you're saying is how you learn this early on, how you interact with these, with these sensations yeah. from your body. Yeah. And so, you know, what, what FBI, you know, this, the stand we took with that is like, if, if we take all that, that uncertainty around, do I act on this? Do I, you know, do I, you know, listen to it? Do I ignore it? Is, is an investigation, right? So if we, rather than having to be right or wrong about it, you know, we can just, we can just, you know, do an, design an investigation around it, see what happens, right? And then use that data to inform my next decision, right? We don't have, you know, we don't have to kind of adjudicate it, right? We can explore it and, and as a way to make that whole process a bit less scary. Right? So is, is humane thrust in terms of intervention, is that teaching parents to react differently or teach the children directly? And does that need a, a very specially trained um, therapist to do that? Yeah, those are great questions. So the <laughs> So it was designed as a dyadic intervention, right? So um, so both kind of parents and child are in there together and very much um, hoping that, you know, parents would serve as role models of their own self-awareness and teachers. And so, you know, so parents are, you know, are encouraged to do all the activities with the child, you know, to fill out the worksheets for them for themselves, as well as to facilitate filling it out with their child. And the therapist is really helping the parents to be able to implement this. The the parent there's a parent manual that be, that will be coming out later, um, early in um, 2024, um, that is meant to be both a, a an adjunct but also a parent guided intervention with the parents being able to do this on their own. Right, because it is a straightforward intervention. Like you know, therapists, you know, knowledge and expertise, of course, you know, takes it to another level. But the hope is that um, that parents can be able to implement a lot of this on their own as well, or and continue on work that they do do with their therapists. And this is interesting because um, you know a lot of parents, um, more than mothers and and and, and fathers, also suffer from these from the adult version of these of, of the syndrome. So. Um, you know, IBS or, you know, functional bloating, whatever the names are for these, um, like in my opinion, all very similar disorders, they're not really separate disorders, in my opinion. Um, but if the parents have to learn this first to be able to good, be good teachers for, for their children, it should be therapeutic for them as well, without knowing that they're actually undergoing therapy here. Yeah, no, I think, I think so. In fact, you know, one of the things, and even knowingly, right, you know, so one of the things that has, you know, happened for me clinically, um, when I was first developing this intervention and giving the rationale to the parent, right, before the child was in, in the treatment, explaining the rationale for it, you know, parents would start tearing up. Um, and, and, and the reaction was because, um, you know, they had had their own experience, lifetime experience of pain, and they, you know, were, they, they could, they were sad that they could have, this would have been such, so beneficial to them, you know, when they were younger, and that they didn't get that. So there was just this kind of grief that they were going through and hearing about this, and also just this hope, right, that they could um, experience this for themselves, and therefore protect their child from going through what they went through. So it was actually quite emotional. Yeah, that's that's really amazing. So coming back to my question, so who who is qualified? I mean, outside of your clinic, who is qualified to deliver this therapy? 
Yeah, I try, you know, I, I tried to write it in a way so that it was very accessible, right? So that um, so that any certainly any healthcare provider um could administer it. And you know, um, you know, so anyone in a, a pediatric clinic, you know, from uh, you know, a nursing assistant, you know, to a pediatrician, you know, to a mental health professional could really develop this intervention. I try to make it so that a teacher um, in a classroom could implement it, you know, so, um, and I, and the way that I tried to do that, we'll, we'll see how I do, um, is that, you know, there's, you know, if you were interested in the geek part of it, you know, the real kind of science behind it, you would dive into the first part of it, but if you're really more pragmatic and you just want to get the intervention delivered, you'd go right to the second part and do it, it has a session by session guide, and then the third part of it is the appendix where it has the the actual material, like the patient materials, which then there's a whole bunch that you can download for, you know, easy access. So you can kind of where, wherever you are, I'm hoping it fits, it fills those boxes for, for all those professionals. So for those um, listeners who <clears throat> haven't been there from the beginning, so we're talking about Nancy Zucker's phenomenal book, Treating Functional Abdominal Pain in Children, a Clinical Guide. Um, using feeling and body investigations, <clears throat> and and uh, and we're talking about the way how this can be um, adopted by you know a large number of of, of healthcare providers that are that, that are dealing with children with chronic abdominal pain, a, a very common condition. Um, so have have you seen a an up, uptake by? You know, pediatricians, um, nurse practitioners, in, in 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 using this guide and 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 seeing success. Well, that's to be determined because um, it just it comes out November thirtieth. Okay, so <laughs> so we'll so we'll see. But thanks to your podcast, you know, of course, so no, no. So we'll say it, certainly it was you know it was co-written by a pediatrician, you know, who you know. You know, Marty Gagliano, who's been in the field, you know, you know, for decades. And so, um, you know, through so there's a helpful chapter, you know, specifically for pediatricians about, you know, the, what the issue that you raised earlier about, like, you know, when to do more diagnostic tests, you know, and what what's this kind of the sweet spot to be had. And so some just, you know, guidelines to help, you know, pediatricians make their own judgments of, about that. So I'm hoping that that part of it will make it. Um, even more um, appealing to the medical professionals in terms of that, but I'm, you know, I'm ho hoping that it give, you know, I, I think, right, pediatricians are are great in, you know, in balancing their their length, the this, you know, the mental health aspects of of symptoms with the the physical aspects and their important integration. I'm I'm hoping it gives them more language to feel like they're they're doing that more confidently. Okay. Yeah. I I mean I. I can't see something that is more logical to do, you know, helping both the children and the parents at the same time. And it's kind of an amazing, um, and, and it's, it's inexpensive. I mean, it's not like some expensive treatment. It's only available to, you know, specialized kids being seen in specialized centers. So this yeah. really could be delivered in any, in any practice across the country. Yeah, and the the materials, so the online materials, you know, there's like whole like workbook, like patient workbooks and patient worksheets and coloring pages and character sheets. So there's a whole kind of there's the handbook, but then there's a whole other 
you know, you know, materials that would a would be available to a practice, which we hoped we really, you know, our goal was to get this out there so that we can help these kids, you know, in the easiest way possible. Now, since, you know, we, we talked about this earlier that in um, <clears throat> earlier part of your career, you were mainly focused on eating disorders. I mean, eating disorders don't manifest in, in, in young children. So, but would that, <clears throat> would that program have in any way a, a, a relevance for patients with eating disorders when they get into puberty or? Yeah, no, it's a great, it's a great point. You know, so certain, um, <clears throat> there's, you're absolutely right in that like certain eating disorders like anorexia nervosa and bulimia nervosa and, and you know have their typical age of onset around you know adolescence and late adolescence but before they had anorexia and bulimia they had gi disorders mm. right you know and they had anxiety and so you know one of the things that also you know got me in this interesting is you know are you you know by targeting kids you know with with functional abdominal pain you know, and teaching them to trust their bodies and to know their bodies, like, you know, could you as a secondary goal, you know, prevent eating disorders, right? Are you giving these kids tools so that they're less vulnerable, you know, to the onslaught of puberty? And and that's the the wish, you know, I don't, I don't have data to show that that's the case, but that's, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that we can, can use it as a preventative intervention, you know, via that lens. Okay. No, I mean that's 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 really great. So, um, coming back to the practical thing, is this something that <clears throat> that you would teach in in groups of children or groups of parents, or is it a one to one? Yeah, it's a great question. So we um so the way that it was developed and tested in the clinical trial was with individual um parent child dyads, um. But it it led, but when I but I have implemented it in, in a group format and it actually works, you know I I don't want to say even better, um but you know you can see where it could right you know because you know first of all like there's the psychoed piece where you're teaching the child about different about what different body sensations are and introducing it to characters is the first part, and then when you're doing these interoceptive exposure investigations where you're you know exploring you know, how much, you know, two different activities, for example, causes your heart to beat and comparing and making a prediction about that. You could see where kids in a group, you know, getting, you know, doing jumping jacks for a minute and feeling their heartbeat and counting it would just work really well in a, in a group or classroom setting and, and be a lot of fun. And, and how long, so this is obviously a, a course, how, how long does the course take? So somebody decides yeah. now, I want to do this. So how many weeks do they have to commit? Yeah, it's um it's a 10 session um intervention, which is which is long, you know, I do want to say that is, you know, there's been some really um, critical advances, you know, using cognitive behavior therapy for functional abdominal pain that can be as short as like 3 sessions. So 10 sessions is long, um but the reason why it's a bit longer is because I'm really trying to to, to do a lot, right? Trying to keep teach kids about emotional awareness. Um, and so, so there each session has a different theme, right? So there's like the eats where children learn about hunger and fullness and the sensations associated with that. 
There's the explosions where kids learn about the sensations associated with digesting food. And then there's sessions devoted to emotional experience and sessions devoted to sleep and recognizing sleep. So I'm hoping that, you know, kids leave the intervention knowing what um, different kinds of pain is like, knowing to, they could recognize hunger and fullness. They know what their emotions feel like. They know what it feels like when they're sleepy and so it improves their sleep. And so they just leave a self-actualized little five-year-olds, you know. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I'm just thinking about, you know, uh, dealing with adult patients. I mean, I could easily see, you know, making another version of this book for adults, because I mean, the same, the same lessons that you teach the children for many patients will be just as useful, you know, if, 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 if you made this the major, any, you know, it could be an online program, obviously, you wouldn't have to come in. But Many of these lessons apply to adults just as just as much. I mean, it's uh... <clears throat> yeah, it's been funny. So you know, I've been I have implemented this intervention with adults, like not doing any like as a child, like like you know, recognizing that it was developed for children. Um, and I've and the, the adults um, that I have administered it with are those with complex trauma, mm. right? Um, and and the re and it was the framework, you know, the you know, and the sexual trauma, right? And and the framework that I um, implemented it with was, you know, was this notion of like you were robbed of developing a safe relationship with your body, you know, and so it never emerged um, because of what has happened to you. And so we really need to go back, you know, and kind of start over from when you were a kid and and develop these these tools. And so you know, which has been a relief, you know, like it, it's such a simple, funny little intervention that it felt very safe for, for some adults. And then, you know, other adults will think I'm being patronizing, you know, and, you know, so there's a, there's a need to, you know, develop, a, you know, s- some different tools as well. Do you, do you think from, um, there's now obviously, as you mentioned, these, these competing interventions um, in, in, in adults, mainly cognitive behavioral therapy and online versions of that, which you know makes it available or acceptable to a much larger population. And, and online versions, I mean, kids you know, spend a lot of time from earliest age on on the internet and with exactly the kind of things like cartoon characters and you know, funny stories. So you, you would almost think that this is something that 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 kids would adopt like very early because it's it's in their medium it's it's in this funny character type uh, you know cartoon type character um, uh, environment and um, yeah I I think to me this is something that is almost makes it even more likely that this will be successful because it's it's speaking the same language as children in a in our modern age particularly if you were online you know like like. Uh, cartoon animated cartoon characters you know that they played uh, well i hope so it would be it would be nice if pixar you know picked up fbi as a you know as their next you know and they've already you know and they've already certainly you know had you know wonderful um you know films about you know using sen- the, the about emotions as sensation experiences and characters and things like that so it is a lot certainly a long um <clears throat> those lines i and i was very lucky to have um you know you know, Duke students are very talented and there's some very talented artists amongst them. And so to have, you know, one of my students who is currently in medical school, 
um, Lizbeth Lepo, who was a you know a, who a great artist who did all the illustrations for the wow. book, right? And so it's very meaningful to have uh, to have her along for the ride for this too. One one question I had about um, this whole issue about you know interpreting um, the the feedback from your body and um, seeing it in negative terms. I mean, there's obviously an epidemic of this partly triggered by social media and the, you know, the way that um, people want, are trying to present themselves. And then the, the, the algorithms that, you know, Instagram and Facebook has built into it to beautify the, you know, the, so, so this whole issue about having a negative attitude to uh, signals that you get from the body, either cosmetic, but also, you know, in, 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 in sensory terms, um, which has led to all kinds of, you know, in, in some countries, plastic surgeries are, you know, one of the biggest sections of of of, of surgery. Um, so, how how do you see this as an expert in in interception and particularly the wrong interpretation, the negative interpretation of the signals we get from the body um, in the context of this of this epidemic of that people don't like their bodies anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's, you know, Mike, you know, it, th there's so many layers to that question, right, you know, in terms of, you know, how do you protect, you know, kids from, you know, from these toxic influences, and, you know, and one of the things that is, um, that I'm naively hopeful about, right, is, you know, is the just the profound, you know, safety that uh, someone can feel, you know, with, if they have this close connected relationship with their bodies, right, you know, because at the end of the day, right, it's, it, it really is the one thing that you have control over, right, you know, and that can be in a, in a toxic way, but if, if that relationship is responsive and safe, that has profound implications for your ability to withstand all these toxic influences because you're the only one who knows yourself, right? Like you're the only one who has access to your own intercept, like, you know, to what it feels like to be you, right? And if you feel like you really can kind of tune in and decode that and know the nuances of like you're a morning person or a night, then, then someone can't tell you different. Right. Um, and so I, I do feel like it has a pro profound implications for being protective, you know, and if we can get kids to turn off their screens, <laughs> if, we, <laughs> if we can combine those two things as close connected bodies and restrict their screen time, then we have a magical formula. Yeah, because I, I mean, I feel, you know, people don't realize, I mean, they think they, <clears throat> they're dealing with with reality in 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 a one to one that what they see and what they feel <clears throat> is directly related linearly to their reality but in re but but in reality it's actually all interpreted by the brain you know it's not we 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 live according to the models that our brain has has created what reality is and what our bodies are and and um so i think your your approach is really you know has this widespread implications of how what we need to do to teach uh, patients young patients children that um that they have a they have a big particular children have a big influence on how for the rest of their lives they they interpret themselves and you know their bodies and their feelings and in my opinion this goes way beyond just 
treating abdominal pain. You know, it's it's it's. I almost think about it. I mean, it should be something that should be taught in preschool. You know, to to all children, in some ways, um, would probably have a profound effect on downstream on 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 a lot of areas. You know. Yeah, I would love. I would love for us. We, I mean, we neglect, you know, some in all in our psychological treatments, right? Where we get very cognitive, right? And we don't, you know, I would love for us to move into an era where we're more somatically focused, right? And all in all that we do, and as you say, from a very young age, right? Helping kids to feel safe in their bodies as a primary vehicle to facilitate everything right their ability to regulate their you know to not be afraid of their emotions and to feel feel safe for, for sure yeah this you know what um what, what poland has 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 called this national eating disorder i mean that's has to do with this as well that, we, that people are so afraid of 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 external things that they ingest or you know that that they consider for like regular foodstuffs that it's it's all influenced by negative by fear you know and 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 that creates then a situation where this fear in your brain actually affects your digestive system and so it's i mean i think in a, in a lot of ways I mean, we live in this age of um you know i don't know if this was the same in 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 future generations where they um it was much more a matter of fact um you know, accepting the way you've grown up and as 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 the guideposts, how to interact with your body and 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 with the world. I mean, it may not have been that healthy either. We, we always tend to glorify the past, but uh, I, I think what's happening today with all these influences that uh, you know that kids and 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 adults are being bombarded, mainly from the internet, um, that that's really fueling this. I mean, it's. Uh, yeah, it is. It is hard to stay connect, like connected to one's body, right? When you're like, when every, when you're given all these alarmist messages, right? About you know that, like you said, the things that you ingest or the sensations that you experience. Everything's if it's medicalized and given this this threatening lens. And there's just a real, um, you know, and and the gadgets, right? In terms of you know that give you like interoceptive feedback, right? Mm -hmm. You can have the opposite effect right of causing you to be disconnected like i you know i re recall you know um when i was at dinner with a dear friend of mine you know and his watch beeped you know and he looks at his watch and he's like oh i'm tired uh, you know uh, right <laughs> you know and you're just like oh gosh you know um where are we headed you know in, in terms of just like you know just our capacity to tune in with ourselves and, and sense things for ourselves as our as our guidepost yeah, this is actually a very good point and maybe, you know, a, a good way to end this. So this revolution in wearable devices and this enthusiasm, how it's being incorporated. Yeah, it, I mean, all of my friends have 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 these Apple watches and it beeps and then they then they check their, their iPhone about their blood glucose level and like all these things that, that our brain is perfectly equipped to interpret and respond to. So now we, we sort of almost take out the brain of, of, of this and, you know. Yeah, no, it is, it is, you know, so hopefully, right, we train these little guys to be FBI agents, and they, you know, save a lot of money because they don't need wearables. <laughs> well, Nancy, this was a, a wonderful conversation, I, you know, as, as usual, it could go on for a long time. Um, but, but I think this is definitely something I think a, a lot of listeners will be interested in, because it applies 
you know, not only to to their children, but also to themselves and, um, you know, how they can. So I would recommend to everybody, regardless if you have children or not, to uh, buy this book when it comes out at the end of November, Treating Functional Abdominal Pain in Children by um, Nancy Zucker, uh, Catherine Loeb, and Martha Gagliano. Um, I can't wait to, to have it in my hands as, as, as well. But um, this is definitely a book, I think, that, that may change the lives of many people. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate it, everyone. Lovely to chat with you, as always. Thanks, Nancy. Bye-bye.